And so I don't think simply using arts will win, but I think using arts strategically when you're amplifying the stories of people who are impacted by a struggle and, you know, and, and you work closely with the organizations or movements that are, are, are fighting the struggle. And I, I think there's a, a place for art to, uh, to really amplify and win. Hello, and welcome back to the Oakland Institute podcast. My name is Andy Currier, and I'm your host for today's episode. The past decade has seen the number of nonviolent protest movements surge around the world. The rapidly escalating climate crisis has intersected with a reckoning with the institutionalized disregard for black and brown life in America. Energized climate protests and the Black Lives Matter movement have taken to the streets to bring about change. Given the lack of action taken by those in power, they will only continue to grow in the months and years to come. If you've participated in any actions over the past decade, chances are you've seen the work of today's guest, Oakland Institute Senior Fellow David Solnit. David Solnit is a climate justice, global justice, anti-war arts and direct action organizer, an author, a puppeteer, and a trainer. He was a key organizer in the shutdowns of the World Trade Organization meeting in Seattle in 1999 and in San Francisco the day after Iraq was invaded in 2003. David co-founded Art and Revolution, a movement using culture, art, giant puppets, and theater in mass mobilizations for popular education and as an organizing tool. He has co-created visuals for the campaigns of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, National People's Action, and numerous mobilizations and actions in the U.S. and around the world. David also works with Courage to Resist, an organization supporting resistance to war and empire by former soldiers. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today, David. Now, your bio is quite impressive, and it contains many definitions of who you are. What do you say when someone asks, what do you do in life? Uh, I mean, I've been uh, a carpenter for 30 years of my life, and I still do some construction, and that's how I've made a living. Uh, and up until recently, that was how I supported myself. Just uh, in the last six years, uh, tried to figure out how to be able to organize and uh, support movements with art and uh, not have to work in construction. So it's been doing contracts with nonprofits and with trying to find ways to, to, you know, pay rent and bring in some food and living money. And so you mentioned earlier being involved back in organizer back from high school. So how did you first become involved in activism? What was that first cause that got you to take action? Uh, I was in high school in Portland, Oregon, and President Carter in 1979, uh, just a few years after the Vietnam War stopped, five years after something, uh, he brought back uh, registration for young men when they turned 18 to register for military service or the military draft. And, uh, you know, at the time the U S was, uh, funding the, uh, Mujahideen fighting the Soviet, uh, entrance into Afghanistan. There was an oil crisis. And so many of us thought there was going to be a war for oil and that we were going to be the cannon fodder sent over to fight, you know, like the, recent generation who had been sent to uh, Vietnam to maintain U.S. empire. So 
kids in my high school and every high school in our city started to organize and created a, uh, a network of all the high school groups and did demonstrations and education and, you know, got the school board to pass resolutions, you know, and then also on a cultural level at the same time, uh, there was a cultural rebellion in many sectors uh, for young folks. Uh, punk rock was just coming up and, you know, kind of rebelling against corporate music culture and saying we can make our own culture and we don't, you know, we reject a lot of things about the system. So both, both those things were big influences. So then moving forward then to the, the battle of Seattle in 1999, uh, it's been over 20 years now and sort of what do you reflect on as the most, as a key organizer in the shutdown of the 1999 WTO meeting? What, what can you share about this historic moment of people's resistance and, and how might it be relevant uh, even now, 20 years later? Uh, I, I mean, I think one thing is it's uh, there's a power when people in the global north and the U.S. in particular join, uh, you know, in solidarity with movements from the south, which we saw ourselves as like we were stepping up and joining the more developed uh movements of the South that had been resisting corporate globalization in many forms for, for years and decades, you know, for first notably the, the Zapatistas rising up against the implementation of NAFTA a few years before. So I think that's one thing of, of the power of uh, acting in solidarity with the global South and another is just that uh, ordinary people can, can rise up and rebel and make change that, that, ordinary people have power. And when we organize ourselves and act with some strategy, we can actually cha change things. And that, uh, you know, on, on the shoulders of the global South movements that helped to derail that WTO summit, you know, and that, which helped to unravel the, you know, the global 1% plan A for how they were going to run the world through, uh, you know, using the WTO as a central vehicle to override communities and countries uh, trying to protect themselves from uh, uh, unregulated corporate power through uh, local state and national pr worker protection, environmental protection and human rights protections. And so, you know, so they didn't win their plan A because we were in the streets and people all over the planet were in the streets and acting with some strategy and disrupting it and, you know, also breaking the facade that people in the United States and the global North supported the, the, the way things were headed. Yeah. And significantly, we, we centered the use of arts in the, the organizing that the direct action shutdown was initiated by a network of artist collectives called art and revolution collective up and down the West coast. And, uh, you know, we sort of came up with the basic plan of, having uh, action convergences and planning for a mass direct action shutdown, but also centering arts in our organizing and education. Yeah, so speaking of the art projects um, that you've been a part of, and, and we'll include a link to, to your social media pages so listeners can see these incredible works firsthand. Um, in a past interview, you said that using the arts, um, visual art, music, song, poetry, spoken word, performance, crafts, culture, can perhaps most effectively change the stories or narratives needed to win changes. 
why is it important to change the popular narratives or framing used by those in power? And, and how does art help reframe these debates? Well, I, I think humans understand the world through stories and through narratives. You know, it's not that it's not that those are ways to carry facts and analysis and, you know, understanding of things, but that, you know, if you want to explain your data to tell it through an actual human story is most powerful and that the, the arts, I think, are the most powerful way to tell stories theater and poetry and music and visual art, you know, and, and those skills, those arts really sharpen our ability to tell stories. And that in effect, we're, you know, it's called narrative strategy that we're involved in a, an epic battle over whose story will dominate and whose story will fill the consciousness of people in our community. So if we're not better, storytellers than our opponents you know we lose and people believe the 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 status quo stories you know and we're up against you know the folks in power have a hundred years of developing media manipulation propaganda uh and public relations to attempt to control people you know i mean edward bernays who is sort of the grandfather of modern propaganda whose book was used by uh, Goebbels in Nazi Germany, he was very explicit that this is how we're going to control the masses. And so, so we, uh, I believe we counter that by telling our own stories, but not based on manipulative propaganda, but based on our lived experience, but also to be able to tell them powerfully and to, uh, you know, and also to, to have a kind of a democratization of that where ordinary people can lift up their own stories rather than, uh, you know, elite uh, public relations experts, whether they're on, on our side or their opponents, but actually to have, you know, like working with farm workers, having a farm worker be able to say, this is what my life is like in right. exploitative conditions. And so while some may first just think of oh. protest signs, uh, you've been active in using things like massive puppets, um, street murals during mobilization. So what inspired you to turn into this direction? Um, also, if you wanted to speak to any favorites that you think have been particularly successful that you've been a part of. I mean, I, I've spent my life working with my hands. And so, you know, when I was young, I wanted to be an artist, but I also saw there was a lot wrong in the world and didn't see how, uh, fine arts and gallery art, you know, where if you're successful, you have a gallery show and sell paintings to people with wealth to hang over their couches. I didn't see how that was going to change anything. So, you know, I, I went into construction for a living and, uh, you know, organized with all my other time. And then after 15 years of organizing, I realized that our movements needed help, better ways to communicate, better ways to resist. And so I started to to invite artists and performers to help us shape our actions in a different way than conventional protests. And I, and that, that really had a power that reached people, inspired people, you know, and, and also allowed people to help create what the actions look like and make art themselves and work together to make things with our hands. So I think there was, there was a power in that. And so I don't think simply 
using arts will win, but I think using arts strategically when you're amplifying the stories of people who are impacted by a struggle and, you know, and, and you work closely with the organizations or movements that are, are, are fighting the struggle. And I, I think there's a, a place for art to, uh, to really amplify and win. And I guess one, one story that illustrated for this, for me, I've been working for over 20 years with a coalition of Immokalee workers, uh, low wage, uh, mostly tomato pickers, uh, farm workers from South central Florida. And they've suffered, uh, you know, decades of modern day slavery where workers were held against their will. Uh, and there was a case, I think about 10 years ago where there was a, a group of farm workers who were literally shackled in a box truck at night and forced to work during the day. And, uh, so the coalition of Mockley workers helped to free them, but also tried to, you know, they've been, they've campaigned for many, for decades to try and stop, stop it. And so they asked the governor of Florida, if he would, uh, speak out and condemn it and he wouldn't return their calls. They find when they reached the, uh, the head of the agriculture department, he said, well, it's good. There's not that many cases. It's not a big deal. So they said that was an inadequate response. And they, they held a, uh, they held an action in, uh, Tallahassee, the capital of Florida. And they asked me to help a little bit on the props for the art, but, uh, the farm workers use a tradition called mystica of silent theater with no words, just, uh, silence or music. It's uh, Haitian and Brazilian tradition. And so they created a mystica of what it was like to live under slavery as a farm worker and being forced to work in the fields all day and shackled. And they just repeated it on the steps of the state Capitol for three hours, you know, while allies spoke out. And that really, uh, so there's some power to that. We created a, a cardboard box truck that was life-size and, actual shackles and sort of, you know, uh, a theatrical dramatization of what, what the life, life was like. And it got picked up by the media, by TV, and described in the newspapers because it was so compelling. Mm. And the governor, who had refused to refer, return the call, phone calls of the farm workers, on their way home driving back from Tallahassee, they received a call from the governor's office requesting a meeting at their earliest convenience. And we believed it was a lot, uh, just the images of the silent theater dramatizing the story of the farm workers. So that was a case where using the arts was able to amplify their struggle and win, win a victory. Oh, that's, that's a great example. And it's, you know, it's great to see such kind of immediate impact um, that that had. Um, so from your work mobilizing against globalization uh, and the war in Iraq, you've protested against banks and fossil fuel companies, as well as large corporations exploiting their workers, as you just mentioned. So to listeners who may at first think that these are separate issues, that someone would just focus on one of them, what common threads in these movements have you identified? Uh, I, I mean, I think there's a, a historic and fundamental conflict between uh, communities and concentrated power in the form of, you know, the dominant form being corporate capitalism and neoliberalism these days. And so 
you know, I think most people want to have healthy families and, you know, the stuff they need for their communities to flourish, clean air and water, place to live, healthcare, all that stuff. And, and, you know, and there's been a historic conflict between people being able to stay in their communities and uh, elites concentrating wealth through, you know, capitalism, feudalism, uh, and so forth. And so I think that's, you know, and that manifests itself in imperial wars, uh, in corporate globalization, you know, and now sort of the, the cutting edge is uh, over the the very existence of our ability to sustain life as humans on the planet through uh, climate change, where they've sort of, you know, what they've done on a smaller scale, which is wreck our wreck lives and wreck communities to squeeze out profits, they've now done with the entire planet, you know, and so we're, we're in an epic battle for the survival of our species and our ecosystems. And, uh, you know, and the, the, the hope is that we can save the planet and through, you know, decolonization and climate justice also win a much better life for our communities all over the world. Right. And, and now for listeners who aren't as familiar with the defund line three campaign, um, could you speak to sort of the background of this mobilization and also how art has been a critical part of this movement? I mean, line three has become sort of the, the flagship struggle, the most visible struggle uh, against the fossil fuel industry in the United States. And it's a, a tar sands pipeline that would run through uh, Minnesota, crossing indigenous lands and, uh, you know, and all pipelines spill. So that pipeline ran through a lot of the uh, indigenous territories where for thousands of years, people have gathered uh, wild rice so would likely wreck those. So it was an indigenous, is an indigenous led struggle in Minnesota that's uh, been hugely effective. They have not yet stopped the pipeline. The, the story is not over, but it's uh, really escalated the, the battle. And so, uh, you know, a lot led by our indigenous comrades up in Minnesota, art has been a super central part of it, you know, and, and those of us who don't live in Minnesota have been doing, uh, working with the network Stop the Money Pipeline. We've been doing a campaign to defund the, the pipeline by getting banks and uh, investment institutions to take their money out, which is also a great way to engage our communities because everyone has uh, a bank in their community that they can do an action at. And so art has been a, a central part of that. Of you know, and one, one project I was involved in was uh, with the Indian Collective was uh, we asked 10 artists, uh, indigenous and movement artists around North America to create 10 poster designs. We printed them up as newspapers and we shipped out 8,000 of them to 500 different activists and communities. And all over the country, they were wheat pasted in around communities on the front of banks, used as picket signs, uh, pop-up art shows. So it was a, yeah. a enriching way to to bring together artists using the language of visual art with community activists, uh, getting those images out and using them in their campaigns. 
And I think it's, it's good how you mentioned too, just, you know, for those aren't, who aren't in Minnesota, just the, all the ways that you can still get involved um, specifically on targeting, following the money. Um, so I think, you know, we've seen an increase in the number of Americans joining protests um, recently. How do you think uh, someone on the front lines of these movements th that we can mobilize even more people around some of these critical issues? Uh, no, I, I think it's less than, I think it, mass mobilizations are important and critical, you know, which we saw with a uh, Black Lives Matter movement over the last couple of years. I mean, it's uh, shifted things quite a bit. But I think even more important is for people to self-organize themselves, so, you know, that wherever you are, are you involved in a, an organization or in your community? And, you know, and then for those organizations to, to engage in strategic campaigns where they can win concrete things and, you know, build up their, their muscles to fight and win struggles, you know. And so I, I think uh, there's a challenge for us to, to create organization in our communities involve a lot of people get outside of the, you know, the, the echo chamber of small insular groups and, and actually really reach out to all the working folks in our community and try and build up mass organizations, uh, figure out how to, how to fight and win th things for our communities. And, uh, you know, and then to create, you know, I think what, what, what we've been building on since the uh, anti-corporate globalization or global justice movement, which is trying to link together all our different movements into a movement of movements that's strong enough to take on and overthrow corporate capitalism. You know, which is, I, I think, what we're doing right. You know, we're talking at the very end of the, the COP, the UN climate talks in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. And. You know, we're seeing movements in every part of the world coming together and cooperating, you know, and being a counterpower against the, the fossil fuel industry, corporate capitalism, and the governments that they have captured largely, a few exceptions. Uh, just to wrap up, um, what is next on your agenda? Um, we have a lot of listeners in the Bay Area. Um, so is there any upcoming event that um, listeners can join or a way that they can kind of keep track of, of actions and, and become engaged um, down the road? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of toolkits. We were just talking about defund line three. If you look up defund line three art kit, uh, you can see the images, download them, and it has a lot of tips. And so, you know, one thing people can do is work with the organizations you're connected to or in your community and, uh, learn art skills to be able to contribute art, uh, music, theater, dance, uh, whatever your calling is. But, you know, and uh, I mean, I'm, I largely respond to and support uh, movement. So I sort of follow where they go and try and figure out how to use art collaboratively to support them and involve lots of people, involve artists and, uh, tell our stories so powerfully that we win. Well, that's perfect, David. Thank you again uh, for taking the time uh, to answer these questions. And um, again, we'll have links to, to your work and um, sort of what you've been involved with for people who want to learn more um, in the episode description. Cool. Thank you so much for your time and all the, the effort.